What's up, Catching Up With Cub listeners? We are on a mission to make this podcast Australia's number one entrepreneurial podcast. And if you enjoy listening, you can help us do so by rating us five stars and leaving us a review. Your reviews will help other listeners find our show and it lets me know what you want to hear more of. I'm so incredibly grateful for your support. Now let's get to the show. Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, we're catching up with Cub member Lucy Bingle, the founder of LucyBingle.com. Lucy and her specialized team of LinkedIn experts make up Australia's now leading LinkedIn agency, helping companies leverage the power of LinkedIn to share their story and grow their business. Lucy shared some really personal stories in this episode, stories that see her overcoming great adversities and shares the impact that these adversities have had on her as a mother, a person, and as a business owner. Lucy also shared her keys to success on LinkedIn, things that every company needs to be implementing on LinkedIn. Cub does all these things, and honestly, LinkedIn's been amazing for us. There are some great stories in this episode and some big lessons. Enjoy the show. We actually haven't recorded an episode in a while because Laura decided to ditch me and go to America for a few weeks. So um, so that's why I'm feeling rusty in starting the episode like this. But welcome to the show, Lucy. How are you? Oh, very well, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Delighted ex- to be here. I'm excited to get to know you better. Of course, I, I know a lot about what you do through Cub, but um, we've never actually been able to sit down and have an in-depth conversation. So um, this will be our first and it's going to be in front of thousands of people. So no pressure. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was reading your prep sheet, and I read that you went on a eight month um, backpacking, what is it, excursion or journey through Africa. I did. I did. <laughs> I'm too scared to walk too far from the farmhouse. So. <laughs> eight months through Africa. Tell yeah. us why. Well, we've got a really close association to Africa, my family. So my dad um, has worked there for over thirty years, and so it seemed like a natural destination I suppose and I did want to go backpacking always wanted to go through Africa my sister was living in Kampala in Uganda as a um, kindergarten teacher so I knew if I could make my way to her I could then use her as a base and so I thought it'd be really sensible to be about 24 years old and backpack through Africa on my own as a single white female yeah, that I mean that that's that's pretty courageous, I guess you'd call well, it. Pretty well, it was great and it was successful. I had an awesome time, but would I let my two girls do it? Nope. No. Yeah. Was it scary? Were, were there yeah. ever any times that were yeah. pretty scary? Like? Yeah, I had um, one really scary time, which was actually I was in um, a matatu, which I don't know if you know what that is, but anyway, in a little minivan, and I was. I think I was travelling out of Uganda to go up into the highlands and I was on my own and so I was in like a local bus and it was jam-packed full of people and animals and all their stuff. There's and animals in the buses. In there's Africa. animals in the buses. There's <laughs> everything, chickens and, I mean, you're loaded to the hilt. And then we got about, I don't know, two and a half hours in and all of a sudden militia jumped out in front of the minivan and basically they – um, you know, they started screaming at the van to stop and then they walk around the van and, of course, everybody was African in the van except for 
one single white 24-year-old woman. And um, they saw that and they started with their rifles banging on the windows to get me out. And um, so I had to climb through the back of the minivan, out the exit window, and then they grabbed my backpack and they tore it open and they threw all my clothes everywhere and started like slashing it with them and, you know, machetes and screaming at me and I thought in that moment actually things weren't looking really very good and I was thinking I'm just going to be dragged out onto into the paddocks or whatever you call them on the sidelines and so everyone was going bananas. So these two very, very high, very, very drunk on whatever they'd been on, they were completely out of control, were screaming at me, they'd ripped open my backpack, they'd thrown everything out. Everyone in the bus was looking really nervous. I was absolutely pooing my pants and I just remember in that moment thinking I will be very silent and I will just stand very still. So I just stood very, very still while everything was being thrown. And they got my toiletry bag and I just particularly remember them throwing everything out. And it was humiliating, it was awful, it was terrible. And then this little wiry old man got out of the bus and he was tiny, he was this African guy, and he walked up to them and he waved his finger at them and he screamed at them and I don't know what he said but in that moment there was this stillness and these guys just took off and this old man starts repacking my toiletry bag, like picking up my shampoos, my conditioners, my like all these person and putting them back in and he looked at me and nodded and I got all my stuff and quickly climbed back onto the minibus and rode another six hours and thought, oh, I think I just really escaped something quite scary. Oh, my God. It was really full on. That is very full That That is more full on than I was expecting. It <laughs> 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 was no wonder you don't want your daughters <laughs> doing the same thing. And what a what a man, the, the guy that walked out. The, I the know, man. I know. What a beautiful soul. Mm. To go, go no, I was very thankful. But I, I think just the fact that um, – yeah, you're so young, 24, you're still a baby, mm. going on an eight-month expedition through Africa by yourself. Mm. That's, that's a – I don't know who – I don't know anyone else that has done that. That, that, that just mm. shows that you are obviously quite adventurous from – Yeah, I am. I, I love travel. I love, I love adventure, but I love cultures and I love other countries and I love learning about people and, yeah – Look, yeah, it was wonderful. And so you mentioned your family had some ties to Africa. Was your father working in Africa yes. or what was the...? Yes, so we always, you know, we're Australian and we've always been in Australia, but we're from the country. I'm a country girl and um, he was an agricultural consultant in developing countries and so he had offices all up and down the east coast of Africa in Somalia, Sudan, but in really, you know... Um, Developing countries, so poor countries, so Ethiopia, etc. Um, at about four or five offices, and he would then take over Australian agricultural specialists, and he'd work with governments to um, develop like better, more efficient, sustainable farming practices, and then teach the villagers how to do it. So he would probably, as we were growing up, spend you know three to six months a year in Africa, and then the rest of the time would be in Australia. And so I guess you come from an entrepreneurial family. Did, mm. did, did, do you think that impacted uh, what you wanted to do uh, in the future? Did you, did you kind of, were you encouraged to get into business? Or? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Look, I mean, Dad is completely self-made. He was uneducated. He didn't even finish high school. Um, actually, I think he left school at about 14. So um, he's 
an amazing communicator. So, yes, we were encouraged to follow follow dreams, I'd say, is probably, and do what you are passionate about and love doing. So, yeah, I wouldn't say he sort of set a path for us, but he was definitely um, a big influencer of me and I have, as a result, always wanted to have my own gig and always wanted to work for myself. And so even when I've been in corporate, which I was for many, many years, I would always be thinking about other stuff and side hustles and businesses. And I think I did know that I would eventually have my own business. It, it's funny because yeah, it's kind of similar to me. When you come from an entrepreneurial family, business business becomes an option. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't need – no one's telling you to do that, but it becomes like that's an option. You know, it's not just have a job. I can also start a business. And particularly when you – um, and through lots of the conversations I've had with people, when you've had a parent who, stuck, like your father, who came from nothing or, or the parent that started a business or started that kind of entrepreneurial cycle, you almost kind of get this sense of like, well, if, if, you know, if they did that starting from nothing, then surely I can, you know, Absolutely. I can achieve some great things with, with, mm. with what I've been given. Absolutely. And did you have that sense? I did uh, completely. I mean... Yes, our, our parents always gave us that confidence that we could achieve whatever we wanted to achieve. And I think, you know, and he, they were very values-based though as well. So it was always about follow your dreams, do what you're passionate about, but be good, kind, you know, communicate well. And I, and I, th- I, I think as I'm getting older, I'm believing more and more in that as well. You know, I do believe that opportunities are all around us. It's actually those that take those opportunities and those that do it from a place of goodness are the ones that really succeed. Yeah. You know what I always find? I was thinking about this the other day. You know when you hear those lame old sayings (laughs) that like you're like, oh, that's a cliche to say. I actually can't think of – I was trying to think of one quickly but I can't think of one now but those just – Oh, I hope I think of one soon. But those old sayings that you're like, oh, yeah, okay, like be yourself. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah, 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 Be yourself. Yeah. Like they, they, when you get told them or when you hear them, you're like, oh, get out mm-hmm. of my face. And then as you get older and you start experiencing life, you're like, oh, shit, the person that came up with that really did. Right. There's probably a reason people still say that because, you know, that, that yeah. is a very key lesson. Yeah, kernel of truth in there for sure. Yeah. And so the current business. Yes. Um. Uh, it's it's called uh, Lucy Bingle well, LinkedIn Consultants. Or? Yes, it is. So it's LucyBingle.com and it's a LinkedIn agency. So okay. we're Australia's leading LinkedIn agency and it's what we do all day, every day, working with predominantly SMAs and large corporates, developing and implementing LinkedIn strategies. So like a, 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 so a marketing agency that focuses wholly on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Yep. Well, you probably know this already, but LinkedIn has been – Really, LinkedIn and referrals have always been Cubs' mm-hmm. two biggest yeah. um, kind of growth levers, I guess you'd call them. Or yeah, mediums. I would believe that because your target audience is sitting on that platform. What you do is an absolute, you know, perfect match for that audience and um, it would make sense for you to be, you know, building your brand and connecting with that audience and generating leads from that audience and that platform. And so did you were you always in marketing or where did yeah. you actually start your career? I've I've always been in marketing, been in marketing for over 25 years and I was in Europe though for 11 years and I worked in marketing for financial services and professional services groups. So I sort of started in places like 
Royal Bank of Scotland, Deutsche Bank, etc. And um, yeah, I've always been a marketer. What? Why do you think? Because I really like. Uh, so, firstly, I think why I've been a marketer is I actually really like businesses. I remember one of my, you know, one of the things that was it's probably a really daggy thing to. Um, admit about myself but I remember when I first got to London so after I'd done my eight months the end game was to end up in London and I was that classic um, Aussie that landed in London you know then applied for the working holiday visa or I'd already applied for it and then Aussies at that time were much loved so you could literally just land jobs in crazy places and I always really loved hearing people's stories around business and how they worked and how they became successful and what would make them work better? So I really love the idea, the fundamental idea of marketing, like how you sell a product or service and package it up to be appealing to the right audience and which is fundamentally what marketing is all about, yes, so building that brand and generating those leads and selling that product or services. So I think there's that. I think also um, from a creative point of view, I, you know, I really like design and I like um, brand stories and things like that. So it's quite a nice marriage. You know, you can be creative but there's also the business that's wrapped up in it. I don't and know. so you you you've, you yeah, survived Africa. Survived you, Africa. You, you got to London. Got to London, landed um, a marketing role at um, one of the big banks there Then basically worked in marketing departments, landed on the Y2K project which, you know, was one of the biggest – world's biggest furfies because it never really happened but um, it was a great project to work on and I was also at the inception of sort of intranets and um, web design and things like that so meanwhile on the side I was studying at Westminster University doing design and 3D animation um, and things like that so that was quite innovative and new at that time so I was working on intranet developments and web designs and Thing, yeah, lots of different things going and on. And what was that like though, switching from – because you're from the country mm. and you went to Africa mm. and then you're in I'd probably say the second most mm. intense city on planet Earth, first being probably oh. New York. Yeah. I don't know. You'd have to say that, no? I think London and Apple. New York would probably – yeah, I don't know. It, it was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean I can't tell you. For me it was um, – it was a really pivotal time in my life. I, I I loved the energy of London. We were right in the heart of sort of Britpop, grunge. It was a really good time. Australia was – Australians were just, as I said, so loved. You could just do anything over there. And I think that was it. And I think also, if I was really honest, you know, you're 24 or 25 by then. I'd got over there. I had no family over there. So no care, no responsibility. You could do what you like. The world was your oyster. Um yeah, it was exciting. Yeah. Do you know what's interesting about that? We don't have that culture in, in Australia because in the US you finish school and then you travel and go to a college and you mm. kind of find yourself because you haven't got, you know, your family and you, 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 you're experimenting new ideas and you're hearing from professors that are experts in philosophy and, you know, you kind of – you have that opportunity to grow as a person mm -hmm. away from what you know and to, to view – a a bigger perspective in australia we don't have that mm. and it, but but, but uh, i guess a fair few australians if they were to do it they do what you did and, and, and go to london would you say that that would be like one of the most important things you've ever done oh completely i think i really found out who i was and um 
and also what my strengths were. And I think it really builds, uh, uh, you know, resilience and you have to back yourself and all those sort of really good things. But, yeah, I loved it. I did a lot of growing there and um, figured out, yeah, as I said, I suppose what made me tick and what, yeah, what sort of person I was. I think the exact same thing. Like when I um, uh, lived in, moved to Paris, that's definitely probably the most important thing that I've ever done in, in life just because you, you learn and grow so much. Mm-hmm. This is a really stupid story. It's got really very small relevance to the importance of business. But like just like this, <laughs> this is the, the level of stupidity you learn when you buy yourself. I remember what it's like. I remember me trying to cook my first soup (laughs) and I remember thinking, how do you make soup? Like you buy yourself, your family's not there, everyone's asleep, it's a different time. And I'm like, and I'm just trying to make soup and I didn't know that there's such thing as broth. (laughs) So my soup kept tasting like water. I was like, fuck this, I'm getting getting out of here. I'm going to the restaurant. But like little things like that, like things you – you know, you just don't you, – you've got all these comforts and when you've got comforts, you get complacent. And when you're complacent, there's no moving forwards. Yep. To move forwards, you need to have some sort of adversity. Yeah. You know, or, or at least experience new things. And, and I, I really think that – like when I speak to people, I was lucky enough to go to an international school. I have not been lucky enough, for example, though, to experience Africa. And so – um, the point I'm trying to make there, my, the international school had had all kids from different countries and so I went to everyone's mm-hmm. yeah, homes and things and you end up with this really broad perspective that yeah. your view gets bigger. And a lot of the world is just how big is your view? Mm-hmm. How good of a viewpoint are you at? Because, um, for example, if I was able to experience what you experienced in Africa, I would have that, that view of the world mm-hmm. and I would have those lessons and that perspective. Mm-hmm. Whereas... I currently don't, you know, and and the more you get out, the more you experience, it's the bigger your view. And what I've found is having a better view literally means you can see things better than other people. Yeah. And when you can see things better, in my opinion, you're more likely to be able to achieve more. Yeah, I think that's really lovely and I think that's very true. I think that um, there is so much value in – well, I think that ties back to learning about people and cultures and – what makes people tick and um, and what people value as being important to them. And it does. It gives you a much broader perspective. And so what made you um, – were there any kind of – so you were working in the corporates and mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. the banks or the financial institutions. Mm-hmm. I think you're the director of marketing mm-hmm. for, 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 for a few of them. What was the kind of turning point that mm-hmm. made you say, you know what, I'm starting my own thing. Yes. Okay. Well, this comes to I've actually never shared this story. So, <clears throat> okay, let's do this. So the next big story is that um, so you're in London having a whale of a time and it's super fun. And, of course, the next thing you do is you fall in love. So I fell madly in love with someone and um, got married and – but it, when I, you know, I'm now, how old am I? I reckon I'm now about 28. So, you know, I've done a couple <laughs> of years. <laughs> and, um, then you, I actually don't doubt that. Yeah, that's, so then you get married and um, got married to somebody in London and he was Scottish and he got transferred uh, with one of the big banks to Poland and we moved to Poland and I at this point had, so I'd sort of got stepped out of, 
corporate, well, I had a baby basically and so I stepped out of corporate but I sort of had a bit of a side hustle of doing web design, etc. Anyway, we moved to Poland and we were living in Warsaw and, you know, we were making it sort of work as much as you can in a new country. So it was a big learning curve. So we were madly in love but we're in Warsaw. We don't speak the language. I don't know if you've ever been to Poland I or have. if you… I've been to oh, Warsaw. Have you? Yeah. Oh, excellent. My dad's best friend is Polish. Oh. And so one time it just happened that I that I was there. But oh. I lived in Europe, so I was That's lovely. I was so mucking around everywhere. Well then you would know that the Polish language is a very difficult difficult language to learn, five tenses. So it was a learning curve, you know, you've got a new baby, you've got a new language, you've got no family, no friends. It's it was a hard first year, yeah. So meanwhile your husband's also the COO of an investment bank. So he's, you know, under the pump, you're not seeing him very rarely. And seemed to get rarer, but I didn't kind of I look, you know, I, to this day I really don't understand what happened. But basically the short story is this. On my daughter's second birthday, my husband came home and I was doing a birthday party, as you do, trying to make friends um, with the local preschool kids and they were coming in through the door at, say, 4 o'clock. He came home in time for the birthday party but he told me he had something very important to tell me. And I said, well, as I'm blowing up the balloons, can we just have this chat after the birthday party? And he's like, no, I really need to do it now. And I'm like, well, people are about to arrive in about 15 minutes. And he's like, no, we really need to do it now. And I said, okay, cool. And he said, I'm really sorry, Luce. I don't love you anymore. And I'd like to, for you to and your little girl or our little girl, Bonnie, um, to go back to Australia and here is a ticket. You're flying out on Tuesday. What a prick. <laughs> I can't believe that. And we'd been together for years. On your daughter's second birthday. Yeah. And we'd been together for years. So it really was, I was completely blindsided, didn't see it happening. And, of course, I, you know, well, then, of course, the doorbell went ding dong and we had, you know, 20 to you. Yeah, to put the strong well, face yeah, on. So put the, and so we got through the birthday party. Then I had a bit of a meltdown afterwards, as you can imagine. Then I was like, well, don't we go and see a marriage counsellor, don't we? And, you know, there must have been something going on. And I asked him, you know, please tell me you're having an affair. That would actually make it easier. Or tell me something's going on. Because then there would be a reason. Well, then there's a reason, yeah. you know, so and you then you can understand it. But yeah, there was no that. there was no reason. Well, he said he didn't. Anyway, to this day I've never heard from him since that Oh, day. my God. Yeah, no, I know. I know. It gets bad. Anyways. I never understand that. <laughs> you hear these stories about... About uh, people doing these things, and you just think like, well, you you know you've got a child. Like, how is that? It, no, I guess I don't know that. Like, I guess what we we're just talking about that the world's a big place, and Crazy. in the world there's a lot of ways people justify their actions. Anyway, the reason I'm sharing this with you and the other thousands of people that are now going to listen to this is that that was the impetus for me. It's so. Just to finish that story off, I did fly home on that Tuesday. I did also try and see a marriage counsellor within the three-day window he'd given me. I did also do the begging and pleading to try and make it work. So I did all those things and that didn't work. So I ended up on a plane with a two-year-old, a pram and one suitcase. And I came back to Australia but I was so embarrassed and humiliated and confused that I never actually told my family and friends that I was coming home. So I actually landed with that and to this day as I touched on before I've never heard from him I also um have never received you know I I didn't go back and fight hard enough I, you know I could have got I mean I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that 
will be listening to this telling me all these things I should have done. But I was young, I was scared and I didn't know what to do and I didn't go back and fight for the things that I owned, i.e. like a For some security a, at least. Yeah, for security. Yeah, that's what it is. It's just I've got a daughter <clears> and, and myself and I've given up my career. I need But Poland was so far away, you know, when you, when you finally came back to Australia and you've got those things and you're trying to rebuild yourself. And so those things I probably let go. But what I did do was made a promise to myself that I would be forever independent, financially independent. I would have my own gig. I would protect that baby girl and I would show her that I can do anything. And that is why I'm sharing this story because that is what made me say, you know what, I'm going to have my own business and I'm going to be bloody good at it and I'm going to show every little girl out there that they can be strong, independent and do whatever they would like to do. And that's what makes that, and that's what makes you so special is that you're one of these, these magic people that, can take something as horrific as like I can't imagine being being uh, that guy and doing that to somebody and and I think a lot of people would struggle to to comprehend that but it's it's such a horrible thing my point but you use that adversity or or that pain to create something positive you know it was like it wasn't like cause believe me there's a lot of people that I speak to people that crumble over. They're upset. Their delivery took too long, <laughs> and their, their lives are ruined. You know, but but for, you went through something really obviously quite traumatic, and instead of crumbling mm. and and I guess getting weaker, you you actually used it as a as a propeller to to yeah. to push yourself up and forwards. And and you know what's quite interesting too, um, in lots of the episodes, in lots of uh, podcast episodes, mothers. Mm. that have to provide for their children have th- like the need to provide for a child has often been a cause for mm. that's it I'm doing this and I have to do this and I'm going to I'm and, and there's always a passion behind it as well it's like it's kind of like it's the greatest um driver yeah, yeah there's different variations of that situation but that passion I'm, I'm, I'm a mother I've got a child I need to make sure not just that this child has security but also that the child has someone to look up to and, and knows that they can be strong in life so that they have something to learn from. Mm. And then I went out and basically kicked ass, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Uh, it is, yeah. I think, you're, I think you're right. I think that mother, <laughs> that maternal drive is strong. There's no doubt well, about that. Um, look, I think also let's face it, there's one of two ways you can go. You either fall in a heap and you don't, you know, and I just knew that wasn't really a choice. I just, I didn't want to be a victim, is yeah. to be honest. I didn't want to, and I didn't want, I I kind of wanted to stick it to him a bit, to be honest. <laughs> well, I didn't want to be a victim. That's, it's a choice. Mm. You know, that, I think that kind of shows you it's a choice. You, you can choose to, mm. to, you can almost choose to say, well, I'm actually better off for not having um, a horrible human being in my life and, yeah, I'm in this situation now where I have to do something for myself. Oh, and look, there were some wonderful silver linings. I mean, I came home, so that was a wonderful silver lining. I came back Australia to- is far better <laughs> than Poland, I can guarantee you that. The weather's much kinder. Yeah. And, you know, I've got the best sisters in the universe and um, I was able to be back with them and all my nieces and nephews who are like a tribe and there's, you know, 
11 of them and they're all within the same age. I mean, so they had the best time. So, you know, Bonnie got to be part of that and I'm forever forever grateful for that. And, you know, so there and and the good news is I fell madly in love again in years to come and I also went on to have another beautiful baby girl. So I'm lucky, man. Yeah. I'm really lucky. That's so beautiful. And, and so was um, this business... Was it your first business or did you start a business before that? No, no, no. So when I came back, of course, you know, because I, I, yeah, I literally came back with, as I said, the pram and the suitcase. So I had to start. So I was general manager for um, a design agency called Freckle who are awesome and they're still in Freckle Creative Partners and they're really great. And so I worked for them and then I also at that time, because my little girl Bonnie is half Scottish, she is super fair, right? So like when I say fair, I'm talking super fair. And a super fair baby in the Australian sun is really tricky. And back then you couldn't find those things that we take for granted now called rashies. So I started a kid's swimwear label called Loose Boots. And Loose Boots designed and created 50-plus um what do you call them? Uh, rashies, so swimwear. Yeah, for the, the rash kids. Bits, yeah, yeah, for under ten. My, my nephews always wear. Yeah, them. all wear them. Protected anyway, so them. I built this business. We ended up going all through Asia Pacific. We were, um, had it, them all in store. But the other thing I did that was really clever at that time was I actually did an e-commerce site. And of course, now we're talking. Well, we're talking fifteen years ago. So it was actually one of the first e-commerce sites for um, swimwear and. It was also before Roxy and Billabong had put out their first Rashi. So I was doing really well. And then the GFC kicked in, which was awesome, and that destroyed it. But more than that, Billabong and Roxy started putting out their own Rashies for kids and swimwear. And unfortunately, Loose Boots died. But it did teach me how to set up an awesome business, how to meet your market, how to package your product properly, how to sell online, how to sell retail. And um, it was a great experience. And it also got Bonnie and I, you know, up and running. So, um, yeah, you know, confidence-wise, everything-wise, you know, it was a – Yeah, it, I was going to say, did it give you confidence? Uh, it did. I mean, I was working 24-7 at that. I mean, which I know we all do anyway, but I was working full-time and then I was running that also full-time. I, I look back at that period of my life and I actually don't know – how I did it all. <laughs> like I literally, I can't figure out how it actually happened, like even how I managed to pack the, because it was just me and yet like it was uh, all over Australia. It was in Hong Kong, Singapore. Like I just don't even know how I did it. I think it's pretty. And, and it's also cool because you, I mean, it's you and, and your you and Bonnie and your first business was a business to serve Bonnie. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's it's right. Kind of, you know, it's a, well, I needed some good to find, alignment right. there. Yeah, well, we did need to solve that problem really quick, smart. And and but and 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 so that business and losing that business at the end, mm. again, that's something that a lot of people who could get disheartened by. Mm. Um, um, and you clearly articulate the exact reason why it. it, it it wasn't able to continue. So there was obviously lessons there in terms of, okay, you know, competition mm. and big players coming in. How did that affect you? Oh, look, it definitely, you know, I was a bit, I was gutted that it had closed down and I knew it was really great product. But I also, I, I, again, I don't know quite how I knew this, but I also had that insight to know that, you know, you get out while you're not ahead, but definitely not while you're, you know, I didn't want to be on the bones of my ass. So it was like, this isn't working. 
there are bigger people here who are playing a much larger game than me and I can't compete and I'm tired. I was really tired as well. And then thankfully somebody came and headhunted me to do um, be a marketing director for a search firm, which was completely not necessarily industry-wise my sweet spot, but I knew I could do the role and um, and it was back in well. corporate and they were paying well. Yeah. Daniel, that probably, yeah, you probably hit the mark. There. Yeah, well, because normally when someone mm. goes into an industry that's not particularly or wasn't their their choice at that mm. time, mm. they're normally paying well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The money and, talked and I think just the, and it was. Um, it was it probably was, a good experience anyway. Though. It was a great experience. Mm. I mean, look, it ended up being, it then fermented or is that the word, the sort of kernel of idea to um, start a LinkedIn agency. So right how, how, so how did you go, oh, because it was a recruitment firm, so recruitment firms all right. on LinkedIn. Yeah. And then well, you realised, oh, there's a gap on LinkedIn for marketing. That's right. So basically one of the weird jobs that fell in my bucket was training 65 consultants on how to use LinkedIn and they were using it to source talent. But as a marketer I used to think, I know what that bloke's going to do when he gets placed as CEO at Kellogg's or gets into Westpac. He's going to go and build a new team. So he's going to go back out to market and he's going to go and find a service provider. So why aren't we actually positioning ourselves, talking about our expertise, our knowledge, our mandates, our new people, all our good stuff, already talking to him about that and educating him on that so that when he does go back out to market, the first thing he thinks of is us. So then I put that strategy into play and all of a sudden we saw we just won a lot of new business and it was because we were everywhere. And then I thought to myself, actually, why is this constrained to recruitment? Every business on LinkedIn should have a robust LinkedIn strategy that, you know, meets their target audience, that tells them about what they do, how they help, the challenges they solve, talks about their people and culture and values. And that was the moment that I thought, "Uh uh-huh, I'm onto something here. And so seven years ago I left that business and I started up my business. Well, it's just so funny because it just like again that the, everything happens for a reason like it's one of those old sayings mm. you know it, it's almost true because i mean to focus on the little part of your of your story the, the, being the recruitment agency yes you know okay uh, i went to the recruitment agency because i had a daughter and i they were paying extremely well and it's not some normally a, it's not my industry but i'm going to go for that anyway then because recruiters are all on linkedin it, it that choice is what gave you the opportunity to then to find a gap in the market on LinkedIn with LinkedIn marketing and then start your own business. You know, it's yeah, just, absolutely. And I just think it's when it's when you have that mindset, like you just obviously have a fantastic mind because there's a positive from any situation. Mm. You just got to find it. Or That's there's an opportunity. Exactly right. Even like I say to the team at work all the time, like a bad thing's not a bad thing. It just normally highlights an opportunity um to to get better or to do things or to improve or you know like um i'm trying to think of a a, a simple example if like a member says oh you know my last um uh my last uh core group and for the listeners that aren't members core is cubs kind of main um um networking or connection system for the members my, my last core group wasn't ideal or you know i wanted to meet more people like this and this and this you know, we, okay, you could be sad and be like, oh, shit, we screwed that up. Or you can be like, all right, who? Let's, let's just let us confirm exactly who you wanted to meet and why, who are good potential partners, blah, blah, blah. 
probably go catch up with that person, have a coffee, bond with them a little bit further, mm -hmm. make sure their next core group's amazing, probably call them after, chat. hey, what do you think about mm -hmm. this group? The person now feels great because they've got more attention, better service, they, mm -hmm. they, they can see how much we care. And, and then that, boom, that person is there for life because they, they can see that you care. You know, that a negative thing, you screwed up, even if you screw up someone's service a little bit, even that can be a positive. Oh, completely. Um, yeah. Well, of course it makes you um, review and refine your process and your system and make it do it better. And reviewing things is so important. And, I mean, even if you look at the pandemic as an example, yes, yeah, so, you know, obviously a lot of businesses have suffered enormously in pandemic. But what I would also say is it's given businesses a fabulous opportunity to really review their sales and marketing strategies and figure out what's working what's not working and do better at what does work and then eliminate maybe the time and energy that they're spending on stuff that isn't actually working for them. I know that's going off on one, but I actually do well, think that's important. Yeah, I do too, but I think where people will will um, will get um, will, will stumble with doing that is mm -hmm. actually knowing what's working and if something's not working, figuring out, you know, why is that not working? Could yeah. we make that work? Like. LinkedIn makes up almost 50% of our growth. Yeah, wow. So it's a huge, mm -hmm. like, amount of our, our growth. I don't even know if we should share that, but whatever. It doesn't really matter who the fuck cares. <laughs> no, I up, think that's uh, – It's yeah. a large percentage of our growth. It's yeah. actually good promotion for, for what you do. Let me but, just tell you, people, yeah. LinkedIn works. It does. It does. I do, though, I do also believe that – so when we started doing it, we were – we were really like prominent and active. Mm -hmm. It's definitely gotten busier. Yeah. So to that like, point, like all Daniel, yeah, no, get. I think that's right. And what I would also say is remember that LinkedIn is just the vehicle. So it's the strategy that is important. So, you know, I could have gone down any route with building an agency. In fact, I could have gone a digital marketing agency across all channels, or I could have gone and focused on social, or I could, you know, there were many ways to go. I am very, a big believer that LinkedIn is like the vehicle or the conduit to make things happen, but it's around the strategy. So, yes, it's now a very, very noisy platform. So you need to stand out in a really crowded marketplace. So therefore you need to really hone your strategy and make sure you're constantly reviewing it and going back to that point before, checking what works, what doesn't work, who are you getting in front of, who you're not getting in front of, what's your content strategy that underpins. I mean, I could go on for hours about this. No, but we will. Well, I want it to talk is about important. that. You know something that does work but it actually annoys me? I, I hate it when people do it, but it's, people seem to get – comments and engagement from it. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed on LinkedIn, everyone is proud? <laughs> the humble so proud, proud. So proud that this has happened. Just absolutely mind-boggled that we are a finalist in this or you know, mm -hmm. super proud. It's like, man, there's a lot of proud people on <laughs> LinkedIn. But, they're, but they're, they get a lot of comments. It obviously works. But but um, people, I reckon people got very low bars of what, yeah. <laughs> what makes them proud. But but Deb, how does one go about, sorry to all those people that are proud on LinkedIn, how does one go, uh, unless what you're being proud about is really fucking good, but how does one go about creating a fantastic LinkedIn strategy from the expert herself? Yeah, right. Okay, so um, some my tips on creating a really great LinkedIn strategy. So I think the important things to remember is you do need a content strategy that underpins well, there's a couple of things that – a couple of pieces of the puzzle, content, people, and um, and then obviously 
the actual engagement piece. So I talk a lot about optimised, personalised and socialised. So you need to make sure your people are positioned properly on LinkedIn. So you need to make sure that their profiles are optimised and they're actually really putting their best personal brand forward and are being positioned correctly and that there's synergy across the team. You need to then also make sure that if you've got an existing content strategy, i.e. you're creating content or brand content elsewhere, that you're actually also using LinkedIn to repurpose that content and maybe tweaking the messaging or how it's being delivered, but that you're actually leveraging the platform to be sharing that content. And if you don't have a content strategy that you start thinking about um, content and messaging and how you are sharing those stories about what you do, how you help your people, your values, your culture, et cetera. And then the last piece is training your people on engagement because what's the point of positioning yourselves and your business really well on LinkedIn, sharing content, and then actually nobody within the organisation or only a few people are engaging with that. Everybody needs to understand the strategy, needs to get behind it and needs to engage with those pieces of content in a purposeful way. So not everyone's saying the same thing, not everyone doing it on at exactly the same moment, but knowing what best practice looks like. I think something really um, important that you mentioned. But one of the things that for Cub has worked exceptionally well is uh, g- giving your people the ability to build a personal mm-hmm. brand because mm-hmm. they're building, you know, when, when part of their marketing, it's actually a negative to the company in a way because when, when they're building, um, when part of their role is to build their personal brand on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. they own their LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So they're working on an asset for themselves for the future, whereas the company doesn't own it. So if that person was to leave or if you had to get rid of them for whatever reason, you wouldn't have that You yes, wouldn't have that but, anymore. But, Daniel, as an employer of choice, which you would be, you would also then look at that and say, but you're right, but then you've got to, because I get challenged with this a lot, you've got to also remember that your people are your best asset and also that you are hiring top talent because you'd like to think that your strategy is that you always get the back great people that work for you and that you give them a good environment so they'll probably stick with you because you'll enable them to be their best professional self. 100%. Oh, I'm, mm. I'm on board with it. Our whole team does mm. it. Mm. And, but, no, I just wanted to bring it up because it's an interesting mm. thing to note. Mm. And there are um, things that also you can do mm. to make sure that uh, the company holds LinkedIn assets too, which 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 Cub does. But, but, um, it, but that's really powerful because – then your people mm-hmm. are really motivated to be real active on LinkedIn because they're building their own personal brand. They've got their own self on, yeah. on, on in the professional media. So it then amplifies the company more. And we even we encourage the team to like, um, if they get promoted, uh, to, to re, you know, mention that. If they, um, um, you know, like for the, the membership team, we'll, uh, we'll, ha- we'll take a photo with the new members and, mm-hmm. and introduce them to yeah, their LinkedIn so network. Um, yeah. Uh, when there's events on, share them at the event. And we always want them to be in it so people can see, you know, there's a whole issue with LinkedIn with bots and fake accounts mm-hmm. and, and all this type of shit. But when you can see someone's there posting and, like, yeah. you know, people know them and meet them and and we tell the team to tag the members in it yep. uh, that, you know, that are there at that event. So then the members comment and, and it creates more engagement and then, then members network see yeah. it and then they, oh, what's this cup thing that uh, Lucy's part of? I better join that, you know, and well, I better find out what it is at least. And it just triggers this almost. Mushroom. Yeah. And when we, where we really nailed it, uh, we've nailed LinkedIn 
<laughs> the whole time. But where we really did something special, in my opinion, was in COVID. At the very start of COVID, this was COVID when like worlds gone were dead. And we said, we, we did this across all, all the company. We just quadrupled down on communication, whether it be me and the team, the team and each other, um, uh, us and the members, and especially us and LinkedIn, because at that point LinkedIn was probably our only marketing medium. Yeah, right. And we just hammered it, hammered it. We were putting positive vibes out. We were putting, we were sharing great stories. And in a time where everyone was freaking out yeah. and they're saying, oh, it's these cub people. They're either morons and don't know what's going on with the world or, wow, that's the type of company that I want to. Yeah, that's right. I want to associate with. They're strong. They're doing things in a difficult time. And that's what we did. So LinkedIn gives you that opportunity to showcase strength and positivity Mm-hmm. Um, um, to Man, your market. you are so good at this. Yeah, I'm telling you, I, I honestly reckon I could start a LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wouldn't be as good as yours, but but yeah. but it would, like, I, Cub was built from, uh, thank you, um, ah, what's his name? Reed Hoffman for, for starting LinkedIn. I think, I, look, I think you've really touched on so many important things. Brand advocacy, I mean, employee advocacy is so important because, they are basically, your employees are your biggest fans. That's what I always say to clients. You know, they are your biggest brand fan. Nobody knows your business like your people do. So give them the tools and the power to amplify that brand and send that message out there into the universe and, you know, they'll do a great job. They understand it. They know it. They support it. They love it, you know. so um, And by employee advocacy, mm-hmm. do you mean your, your, team your team saying how good the business is? And saying how good the business is, what projects they're working on, um, you know, sharing the stories around like if they're, okay, if they're a property business, you know, or a construction business, you know, and they're on site and they're taking photos of those projects coming to be or if they're actually able to do a fly-through of a completed project or they might even be um, talking about a new partnership with somebody that they've, you know, Board on board or another key stakeholder. And they can share their involvement. They can share their proud, involvement. Proud to be involved yeah, in proud the to be making of this fantastic partnership. Yeah, that's proud right. to be partnered. And I'm proud to just in- not have gone out of business during COVID. Well, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So I think there's just so many opportunities, but your people are really um, the biggest secret weapon you have on that. So giving them that, and which you guys do so well, giving them that those tools and that training is just really, really key. Yeah. Our uh, guys yeah. have really become uh, like uh, mini LinkedIn influencers. They have? Like, yeah, they get more, they get way more engagement than if I post. If I post, I'll get none. If, if the team posts, they get all the, <laughs> all the members love them way more than me. So I need to They start. are very good. Yeah. And, and also because they're an awesome team. But see, yeah. that's hats off to you guys, you know. You're hiring right. You've got great people, you know, and as a member – I mean, your team are really lovely. They're, mm. they're, they're doers as well, which is awesome, but they're also really supportive and they're very professional. I'm a big fan of the cup team. On the, on the topic of um, t- team advocacy, mm-hmm. do you know who I think, the, I'm certain they know about it, but who does it very well? The big tech companies. Yeah. Like, if you, like I've got some friends that work at HubSpot. Mm-hmm. If you look at their LinkedIn yeah, profiles, they're, they're exceptional. They all have, like a, what you said, synergy. Mm-hmm. They're all speaking mm-hmm. for like a common vision or mission, like a common purpose, I guess. Yep. And they speak in their own voice on top of that. Their profiles all match. Mm-hmm. The wording's correct. The, everything looks great. And it gives off just like a, you know they're good. That yeah. is a good business. Yeah. Yeah, that is a well-run yeah. business. And in my opinion, when you can see 
a business is well run, that's the business you want to work with. Because at the end of the day, if someone sells you on anything and, and you know, sells the world to you or if, if someone is actually capable of delivering that but they're not capable of delivering it to multiple clients because they can't run a business or, you know, it means nothing. Mm-hmm. But when you can see, wow, this business – and LinkedIn can demonstrate this. I think LinkedIn – that's what I was saying. I think LinkedIn did that for Cub during COVID. When, when people can see, all right, these guys aren't fucking around. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're legit. They're, look, their profiles are on point. Their descriptions are on point. They're posting regularly. That yeah, People don't just do that randomly. This is this is obviously implemented and managed and yeah, yeah. that's a good business. I, I should probably meet with them just to give it a sh- – to see what's up. Yeah, I can, couldn't agree with – I mean, honestly, you were speaking my language. Good. Yeah. Good. Well, we speak the same. I, yeah. I was telling Laura before this week. We speak the same language. In I terms think. Of the I think also. You know, I'm often asked. Um, in fact, uh, constantly asked, who should we look at? Who are doing it really well? And you're right. Those tech companies are really good. So my advice to anyone is, if you want to have a look at what a good strategy looks like, look at those tech companies. And um, you know, why why recreate the wheel? They're already doing it really well. You know, start looking at how their profiles are set up. Start looking at the stories that they're sharing. You know, um, connecting with me. Look at our like, you know, company page, look at my team's profile page. Honestly, it's worth doing because you can then set yourselves up for success. And I'll, I'll tell you a new thing that we're doing. I should probably not share it, but again, whatever. And so I was thinking the other – so we've always – our strategy has been towards business owners. Mm-hmm. But uh, right now there's this huge shortage of, of staff. No one can find staff. Mm. We just did a survey with the members yesterday. 80% of them said that they're growing their teams currently. Uh, I can't remember the next stat. 70%, 70% said they're having major issues with yeah. finding people, staff so shortages, whether it be people talent. leaving or finding. Mm-hmm. But what I thought was why don't you apply that same concept to uh, uh, potential team members? So instead of adding business owners, go and add – uh, people that have, um, like right now, we're looking for relationship managers. Go add all the relationship managers, the account managers, the the ones that you think are, are suitable to, to to your company, and then start promoting stories, un- not about the company. Oh, this is what we're doing. This, you know, look at look at our members. They're just invested in each other. And instead of saying that, say, oh my god, yep, our team culture is incredible. Look at what we just did. I just love being part of a team. Like it's so good. Like oh, Cubs amazing to work at. In a less lame sense. Yeah. And then these people, it's like marketing to potential things. So when you put up a post saying looking for a relationship manager, you can have people like, shit, I've been watching their team brag about working there for about two years. I should probably apply. Daniel, that is exactly what I get called in to do the most in 2022 is talent strategies. So how do we leverage our people to share the great stories about working at this business or, you know, and then – and that's exactly what you should be. So what you're doing is exactly right. So this is, you know, how you attract top talent to an organisation and the best way to attract a t- top talent to any organisation is to demonstrate that this is a great organisation to work at. Yeah, from that, the people that work there. That's exactly right. So mm. who says it better than people who are in-house doing it day to day? How did you say it? Stories of how great it is working at your company. I can't remember. I yeah, that's what you said. Stories. So, yeah, you get, get the team, mm-hmm. obviously, if they do enjoy working at the company. Yeah. But get the team to share stories of how great it is to work at your company. So little tips that you can do there. 
Yeah, okay. little tips to do there is even um, videos, short videos with people within the team of benefits of working for CUB or, you know, what it, you know, what's a day in the life of a CUB team member look like, you know, or an What's interview. your favourite thing about the culture of this That's team? right. And just short, short, succinct videos, though, because video is six times more consumed than anything's written. So, you know, people love it. Uh, they eat it up. So that's a good What are thing some to do. things that you see on LinkedIn that you're like, you need to stop doing that? Yeah. So For me, there's the proud thing. I'm yeah, yeah. So I think the humble bragging, which is the proud thing that you're talking mm. about, I think you just got to be measured on that, okay? So it's all about finding um, a good mix of content. So, yes, you celebrate your successes and you do reward and recognition, but counterbalance that with good stories around expertise, projects, um, you know, the stuff that you're doing. And then also counterbalance that with values, vision and your community activity and your CSR sort of stuff as well. That's all really important. So if you can find that perfect mix of content that's written, video, animation, images, etc., that's what keeps people engaged. It's got to be interesting and engaging. And then from a personal professional branding perspective, it's also remembering to be professional, insightful and sharing that stuff, but then adding personality into your stories. I know myself that, you know, I try I have a bit of a strategy around my own personal professional brand, but I always inject some storytelling into it because that's a really good way to demonstrate my personal or not demonstrate, but to showcase my personality and what makes me tick and my values. And at the end of the day, there are plenty of service providers out there, but you want to be working with ones that are really nice and that resonate with you. So if I can inject my personality into it, I hope then that people go, oh, you know, Lucy's good at what she does, but actually she's a really nice person too, so I'd like to work with her. Yeah. And, yeah, it's kind of like sharing your values when you mm-hmm. work with people, mm-hmm. come together with people that have similar values, you're, you're all happy, whether it be team members or, or whatever. But, I mean, saying uh, sharing stories is one thing. Is there an art to storytelling or is there – is there a well, tips I, or a process yeah. that people follow? Well, I think that um, the truth is that you're either good at it, you know, you've you got to be good at it. There are a lot of people that just basically aren't that great at it. There's and some good books on it too. I, think I read one called Storytelling Brand or something like that. Have you know. read that? No. no. And maybe it might not be a real book. I should probably I think I think you've got to think about those posts, yeah. So for me, I really um, I think about – and what I'm talking about here is those personal posts that you can hook back to, um, it could be back to why you do your business or your career journey or, you know, um, the offering that you have. But if you can personalise it and share a personal story that actually will highlight that, it's a really, it's much more engaging for the reader, yeah, or for the person that's watching. So um, spend time on it. Script it out if you do need to, to and test it out, you know. Um, what a, a few tips here is that I know that if you are going to write copy, so when you actually write the text that goes with it, make sure that you read it out loud um, is a really great t- um, tip because often when you read things out loud, then you actually can really hear whether it actually sounds right and whether it sounds authentic and real and whether it actually is even interesting because at the end of the day it does need to be interesting. Yeah. And do you guys help – obviously you guys help people do that. So you create the strategy, you create – you can help yeah, you create content. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just me. I've got a team of account managers, yeah. content creators and researchers. So we do company page management, we do personal um, page management and we – our job is to source, curate and craft um, 
content and commentary for posts. So that's what we do. I also do LinkedIn training. I do strategy sessions. So we do the whole gamut of services and we have a LinkedIn advertising specialist in-house who also does it. Because it is, it is definitely hard to, to, system, to not just systemize but to also manage the team when, you, when everyone's supposed to be doing Completely. it. And also the different team members um, have different reasons. For example, our membership team mm-hmm. are normally promoting uh, new members or stories of success through members sure. in an effort to attract more potential members. Mm-hmm. Whereas our uh, engagement team are going to be more inclined to be posting about the the actual <laughs> services and, and yes. events they're putting on and and and, and, and sh- showcasing that yeah. that aspect of things. And I think what we didn't touch on there, which talks to exactly what you're talking about now, it's measuring success on that as well. So it's really important that if you're going to put all this time and energy into a LinkedIn strategy, that you then are periodically, you know, monthly, quarterly, actually measuring the success of that. So actually going a bit deep into the analytics and seeing, A, are you connecting with the right audience? Are you actually getting in front of the right people? But also what does engagement look like? Are they actually interacting with those posts? Are they actually giving you commentary? And if so, what have you done with those maybe passive leads that are coming your way and um, are you, you know, utilising them in the best way possible? So there's a lot to it. And, you know, but I will say it's not rocket science, but it's really important mm. and it needs to be systemized and it needs to have consistency. Needs a plan and I think it needs a voice, like yeah. a, that, that yeah. synergy. Yeah. And you can't be like too selfish. Like, for example, on LinkedIn, I'm way too selfish. So I'll like, whenever I post, it's like, oh, opening Brisbane, need a club head for Brisbane. Does anyone know anyone in Brisbane? <laughs> you know, like, it's all, all doing the same matter. Well, we need this. Like, I'm always asking for shit. No, no, Whereas no. We, you've got to be sharing and like yeah, I should be yeah, saying, yeah. oh, you know, like just overcoming COVID has been just such a thing and now, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm so, so, so proud of my team for what they've achieved. <laughs> We're in a position now to open three more clubs. <laughs> yeah, well, not like that but yeah. something, I should be sharing. More. You should be sharing more and I think you've got to give love to give, get love. That's the other yeah. thing to remember. It's not just all about you putting out there. You need to actually be engaging commenting. with and commenting and showing so some true. love to your community that you're growing and cultivating on the platform. You're going to see me on LinkedIn this afternoon sending love hearts everywhere. That's right. It's, going to, it's going to feel so Love this. Authentic. This is fantastic. Great work. So, <laughs> so proud of you. <laughs> uh, we're going to wrap up because Laura keeps waving fingers. But do you, um, do you have normally at the end we'll do like a favourite mm-hmm. book or a greatest lesson or, or something? Do you, do you have one that? I know. Well, I saw that and I didn't feel in that part because one of the things that whether I should be saying this or not, so I read a lot, right, mm-hmm. but I actually read – for, uh, like I don't read. I mean, I read business. Some the, beside my bed, I have a lot of novels. I have a lot of sales and marketing books, and I also have a lot of raising teenager books. I mean, how's okay. that? Would you share with us? Content. Yeah. That's, well, I don't. Well, know. Well, that would be your. I reckon that would be your pretty standard. <laughs> Do you reckon that's a yeah, standard? Mother in business, so like yeah, mother business oh, owner. Man, bookshelf. I reckon, yeah, I know. It sounds a bit lame, though, doesn't it? Um, Oh, what I, do you enjoy reading more? Well, the I mother, lo- the teenage. No, God no. I mean, I read them because that'll make me a better mother. But um, no, I read for pleasure. So I just love all the novels that I'm reading. So mm. they're the good. But it's also interesting that, like. that you implement the same concept of upskilling to business as you do to motherhood. You know, like <laughs> I need to learn more about business. I read sales market book. Oh, yeah. You know, I my went- child's crazy. She's fourteen now. I don't know how old she is. I made that up, but better read about that too. You know, like. I do. 
And, you know, Daniel, that is so true and I even had a friend say to me on the weekend, man, Luce, your head is so busy. Do you ever just park anything? I'm like, yeah, maybe it's time. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for today and also thank you for for being, I guess, really honest and, and open to sharing um, some, some, you know, like, I don't even want to call them horrible anymore. You made me want to call them evolving or, or, or key moments of change in your life. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for sharing those stories. I, I'm, I'm certain you're going to inspire uh, many people that have listened to them and, and uh, oh. only good things can come from, from sharing such things. Thanks, Daniel. That's very kind. And thank you so much for having me on today. And I, I'm, I'm really, really impressed by the journey that Cubs on. You're doing a great Thank job. You. Yeah, well, we're going to start communicating a bit better on LinkedIn, a bit less selfish, a bit, bit more love going out there. And, um, and me and you should probably sit down um, uh, to talk about Cubs strategy as well. In fact, uh, to the listeners, if you want to um, get in contact with Lucy, go to cup.club forward slash podcast and you will find um, Lucy's LinkedIn. Would you mind if people message you through oh, LinkedIn? I'd love you to connect a message with LinkedIn, you. websites. Uh, you also have some great information from all our other guests uh, and much more. We're actually sprucing up that page pretty soon too. So stay tuned for that. We're going to be having some uh, very special content uh, coming from that page. So anyway, I screwed up that, uh, that, that, that website thing. But anyway. Uh, thank you so much again, Lucy. That's it's been okay. such a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoy the show.